Peter Fellowship this morning. I was warmed by the greeting that I received from, from those of you who were in Sunday school earlier and, uh, and also uh, in the foyer this morning as, as we were getting ready to come in. So thank you. Thank you for your warm welcome. I want to introduce our other two Seed Company staff uh, people who have joined me. Uh, Scotty Perry. Uh, Scotty, wave. Okay, there you go. He's in the sound booth and Morgan Nelson is here. I uh, appreciate their support and being with me. Uh, so I, I want to start by just telling you a story. This is a story of, a, 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 of Manduan Rawai. He's a very dear friend of mine. He's the principal translator of the Yawa New Testament in Indonesia. And Linda and I, my wife and I, were uh, walked along with him starting about 1993-94 until the completion of the New Testament uh, in his language. This was a, a, a labor of love and perseverance for Manduan. And he, he, he was at this for over 15 years to get the New Testament into his language. And when we, we had finished checking the uh, Paul's epistles of the Romans, and we were just chatting over the, the dinner table in, in Jakarta, Indonesia, where we, we did the check. And I said, Manduan, thank you so much. Thank you for persevering and for sticking with this for so many years. Uh, and I, you know, the words had hardly gotten out of my mouth when he started to weep. You know, the tears came down his face, and then he started to sob. And he actually, you know, buried his, his face in my shoulder and just cried almost uncontrollably. And when he got control of himself, he said, "Let me tell you why I I have stuck with this." He said, "Many years ago, I, got, I had a dream, and in my dream, I was walking in the forest, and there was a I heard a bird in a tree." And the bird spoke to me and said, there is gold at the base of this tree. Put it in your bag and take it back to your people. And so he, in his dream, he says, I went and I found the gold at the, and I put it in my bag and I, and I started to carry it, uh, carry it back to, uh, to our village. But it was very foggy that day and I could not see the path clearly. But then as I peered through the fog, I could see the form of someone going ahead of me and I followed that person into the, uh, back to the village with the gold. He said, and then I woke up. And he said, I had no idea what in the world that dream was about. So I went, uh, I went to my garden and began to, uh, and, and worked that day in the garden. Gardens in, uh, in Yawaland are often miles into the forest from their village. And so he was a long ways away from the village. And he said, about the middle of the day, a little boy came uh, and running, running up to me. And he said, there's somebody in our village looking for you. You have to come back right now. And so he said, I packed up all my stuff, all my tools, and I, and I went back to the village. And he said, when I got there, you were standing at my house. And that was the day you asked if I would be willing to start uh, to, to work on translating scripture uh, into our language. He said, I knew right away what that dream meant. I was called to bring the treasure of God's word to my people in our language. He said, you and Mrs. Jones are called to this work, but you aren't the only ones. He said, I am called. I'm called too. A lot of people ask, how do you even begin translating the Bible into another language? Well, it's quite a process, and it's taken very seriously. The first question is usually, where should a new translation project begin? Well, the spark comes from the most local expression of the church, people in a relationship with God. 
whether it's a denomination, a network of local churches, or in areas where the church isn't established, a ministry operating nearby. God stirs people with a desire for his word in their mother tongue. These needs are discerned through relationship with local agencies who partner with the faith community to determine the best place to start. This early collaboration ensures higher engagement with the translated scriptures and therefore the most immediate impact. Important follow-up questions are, how many people speak this language? Are there mother tongue speakers who can be trained as translators? Are there geographic, infrastructure, religious, or political challenges? Are there individuals prepared to take on the task? And is there potential for outreach or church planting? There is no one-size-fits-all approach when a people group is ready. Each translation team must customize its strategy. First, the faith community identifies the most needed sections of scripture, those that will have the most immediate impact. Then an important question is, what is the most culturally appropriate media that will place scripture into the hands and hearts? Because many of the remaining Bibleist languages are in oral cultures that pass down their language through stories, the answer often is not printed scripture. Other effective tools are the Jesus film, oral Bible storytelling, and audio recordings of scriptures. Some Bible translation projects are a unique video approach for deaf communities where the primary form of communication is a national or cultural sign language. Next, the translation team looks for passionate organizations and individuals who are willing to help locally. And together, the most local expression of the church and Bible translation organizations develop a project plan and a schedule for translation. Then they create a budget and a training regimen for the translators. Faithful prayer and financial partners are enlisted to get the project started and sustain it with excellence. Once the plan is set, the translation process begins. Along the way, reports are created to measure progress and keep prayer and financial partners up to date and engaged. Translators analyze each verse and put it into the local language. Next, the translators test the translation by reading it in the community to make sure the meaning is clear. After corrections are made, the translation is reviewed by highly experienced Bible translation consultants to make sure the translation is faithful. Finally, the translators proof the translation to ensure quality and accuracy before publication. Translators don't wait until the entire Bible is completed to begin giving God's word to people in their heart language. People need it now. That means whenever portions of scripture are completed and checked, they are distributed. As soon as audio recordings are made, they're shared. Local Christians might show the Jesus film, start Bible storytelling groups, share the printed scriptures, or video versions for sign language communities. Anything that can be distributed as soon as it is translated and checked makes immediate impact. When an entire project is finished, the translation team is joined by the partners who have been praying and investing in the project for a great celebration of what God has done. The dedication of new scripture is an amazing, unforgettable cultural experience. As scripture portions are completed, it's time to evaluate their overall impact. What are their project's challenges? What are the continuing needs? How is God's word being distributed? This evaluation also helps everyone involved look at how they can do better on the next project. But the best things to share are always the personal and community impact stories of how the scripture has brought about life change. All God's people desperately need his word. When all is said and done, there's one simple guarantee. The word of God will accomplish the purpose for which it was sent out to transform people's hearts and lives. And that's a promise from God.
So people ask how many uh, languages need a translation of the Bible. So this is a, this bar graph just tells you a little bit of the story. There are about uh, 7,400 more or less languages spoken in the world today. And you can see the breakdown. Uh, there are uh, just short of 1,300 that of languages that have uh, no apparent need. What that means is that they are probably, most of those languages are what a linguist would call more abundant. It means there are only a few speakers left, perhaps they're only aged people. And so it's unlikely that, that a translation could be done in time for them to make use, to make use of it. So, you know, you, you know there are many uh, Native American languages here in North America that no longer are spoken by anyone but a few uh, of the elderly. That's the kind of situation for about 1,285 of those people groups. Uh, 736 have a complete Bible. In fact, just last week, there was a complete Bible that we sponsored that was dedicated in Indonesia. It's a, that is a milestone. Only about a 10% of all languages spoken in the world have a full Bible. Uh, 4,100, uh, 4, more or less, uh, have some scripture, but not... Uh, not a full Bible. Some of them might only have a gospel. Some of them might have a New Testament, but they but they don't have all of God's word. And then uh, there are one th today. This is a current number, one thousand two hundred sixty-eight that we know for sure are are languages that need a translation of Scripture, and they have not one single verse, not one verse of Scripture in those languages. CC Company is today involved in 959 active translation projects, and you can see the spread of where, where they are. The bulk of them are, would be uh, in uh, Africa, Asia, and the Pacific Islands, and then there are also projects in the Americas, principally South America and Central America, and then a few in Europe and the Middle East. Now, what, what, this is an illustration that I want you to think about in terms of how we get God's word to people groups who need, who need it as soon as possible. Uh, the first is going to be a video of a uh, Formula One pit stop in 1950. This is a, uh, uh, yeah, at, at that time. But Holland comes in for a pit stop. Time to refuel and change tires. Moore himself changes the tires. Only four crew members, including the driver, are allowed to work on the car. It's the tenth time. Holland stays in his seat, anxious to get away. Let's watch. Some of you might be old enough to have seen one of these things, right? <laughs> the tires are changed at last. A crewman polishes the windshield as Holland moves away just 67 okay. seconds after he stops. Yeah, a little over a minute it took took them to do that. Now, watch this same uh, this uh, pit stop in 2013. So what was the difference? What was the difference? Well, there were two things. So obviously the technology has changed a little bit, right? 
but the main thing is that whereas there were only four people allowed to work on that, uh, on that project in, in, in 1950, you saw there were probably almost 20 around that car doing, you know, doing different jobs. They were all trained, they were all organized, and they were able to get that job done way faster. And this is what, uh, this is what we are seeing today around the world. God is raising up a workforce, a workforce like Mondrian, who I talked to you about earlier. And our call is to engage that workforce and to equip them to be uh, God's good servants in their context. And that's what Steve Company is, in, uh, is, is focused on, not doing this work ourselves, but to, but, but to en engage with many other people, God's servant who, who's, whom he is raising up from around the world. The three pillars of our ministry, if you want to describe CQC Company's ministry, there are three, three main parts. First is we partner in translation. We connect with, with uh, churches, local agencies, who, and, and we connect with, with people groups who need translations of scriptures and help them uh, to translate God's word into their language. But we also build movement capacity. And by this, I mean that we equip individuals and ministries uh, to, to, to be maximally effective in their in, in their their own involvement in Bible translation, each each ministry has its own profile and history, and so we have uh, we style a unique growth program for each ministry so that they can be uh, they can capitalize on their strengths, they can bolster their weaker points, and make it possible for them to make their best contribution to God's work in Bible translation. And third, we scale translation solutions. What this means is we are not only about just continuing to do this work, but we're trying to find ways of doing it better, doing it faster. And when we see, see things that work, we intentionally uh, apply those as quickly and as broadly as possible so that as many people as possible get, get God's word as soon as, as soon as they can. Seed Company is, a, uh, is part of an alliance of, of ministries called Illuminations. Uh, you can see some of the logos. The American Bible Society is there. Uh, Biblica, who are the publishers of the, the New International Version, is there. Uh, Wycliffe Bible Translators, who is our parent organization. We, uh, we were founded as a ministry initially earlier of Wycliffe. And so we, we are connected with all these organizations in an, a common effort to see God's word translated for people in their own language. This is, a, this is an alliance where logos don't matter. You know, you, know, they, you know, our mantra is no logos, no egos. We just want to see God's word get to people as soon as possible. So our, prayerfully, in the next two years, we, we, have, we have a prayer goal. You can see, you saw earlier, I said about 1,268 languages have not, not one single verse. By the end of 2025, our prayer is that we can, be, uh, we can account for about 600 of those languages. Uh, we, we, we feel as though, you know, that's, we are believing God for the, you know, that, that we can have that kind of impact, partnering with various ones around the world. And we are praying that our other partners, those other 10 organizations and illuminations, will, also, will, will, will be able to reach those other 668. That's our prayer goal. Bernie May, our founder, said, I, I always thought of Seed Company as a prayer ministry that happens to do Bible translation. Sisters and brothers, let me be very, very clear. You know, ge you know, generous giving apart from praying will have paltry results. You know, we are called not a, as, as believers not only to, uh, to, to give of our means and to support this kind of work, 
financially and generously, but we are called to engage as prayerful warriors and to be focused in praying for the Great Commission to be achieved in this world. And so that, that's our call. It's my call that I take personally, but I share it with you as, as something that I, I very much desire that you, as you weigh and consider and think about what your part might be in the Great Commission, uh, the Bible translation part, think about it not only in terms of your generosity of giving, but think about it about your dedication to pray. You know, the, the, I, I shared with you earlier about Mondawin Rawai and the Yahweh, the Yahweh New Testament. This is the, this is the New Testament that, that he helped complete. And there is nothing that is quite the same as seeing uh, a people group receive the word of God in their language for the first time. Uh, there is such an outpouring of emotion and joy when people hold God's word the, the, in their own language in the, uh, for the very first time. There, there were multiple church services where people were, where, where people were celebrating and they danced through the night. One night, I, I was there, so I, they expected me to dance through the night too. It was, it was quite, it was, it was a stretch. Uh, but, but the, uh, uh, yeah, the, the main dedication service was held actually in a, uh, in the, the town where, uh, of the, the county seat of that area, and they, they had a large blue tent on the beach, and uh, thousands of Yawas were there, and there were also a number of dignitaries that were there: the local mayor, uh, chief of police, uh, church leaders, uh, the. Uh, fellow who was the uh, commander of the local military unit were all in that uh, gathered together and they asked if I would be willing to say a few words as part of the other dedication ceremony so I got up and began to speak and since we had people there who were not Yahwehs who were people from other other language groups I chose to do most of my uh, make most of my remarks using the national language Indonesian and uh, you know acknowledged the uh, uh, the, the work of, uh, of various people and and was you know, you know said nice things but at one point at one point I wanted to talk to my Yawa friends uh, and uh, the ones that, that had gathered there and so I I looked at them and I, and I, I began to speak uh, speak that speak to them in their language to say thank you to Manduan for his perseverance and to, uh, and, and to encourage them to read the scriptures. Well, sisters and brothers, the moment the first yellow word came out of my mouth, there was a gasp. There was a gasp and a rumble throughout that entire crowd. They could not believe that their language, I was speaking their language from the platform in a major public setting. Uh, they, they, were, they were stunned, they were moved. Uh, it was a visceral response. And it's pretty, I, it, you know, when scripture gets into one of these languages, there's not only the content of the message that they benefit from, but there is a symbol here of God's love for them and his esteem for them and their own culture. They, they were so proud that, they, that their language also had scripture in it and that it was on a par with any other language, whether it was Indonesian or English, they also had God's word in their language. So I want to read to you just a, a, a little uh, portion of scripture and then I'll, then I'll, I'll, I'll close. Uh, this is the, uh, is the Great Commission. I'm, I will read it in Yahweh to you, for those of you who, know, who understand, <laughs> and, I'll also read, and also in English. Uh, 
So, uh, Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You know, the Great Commission presupposes that people have access to God's word. You can't be a disciple. You know, you, you know, th this is not talking about being a convert, about, about answering an altar call and becoming a, you know, and believe, asking Jesus into your heart. A disciple needs God's word, needs God's word. Uh, and that's what, that's what, what Seed Company is about, is bringing God's word to people in, an, in a form that they can understand and that they can, and that they can apply to their lives. So, uh, yeah, Pastor, I'd like to just pray for the congregation before I close. Mary? Okay, thank you. Father, I look around at, at uh, my new friends here at, at Central Baptist Church in Mansfield, and my heart is stirred by their love for you and by their passion, by their passion for, uh, for your kingdom. Uh, Holy Spirit, would you, uh, would you fall on this place? Would you anoint each soul? Uh, stir in them a hunger uh, to grow closer to you. And I pray as they grow closer to you that they will have your heart for the nations and that they will, uh, they will, you will guide them to, to envisage their part that you have appointed for them to play in that great work. I commit them into your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Brother Larry. Thank you, folks from Seed Company. If you have your Bibles, join me. Matthew chapter 28. Matthew 20, our church has planned this service intentionally to fall at the end of our discipleship series because we desire to urge all of us to surrender to the discipleship call that our Savior has put on our lives. Our prayer should resemble what should be on your screens. God, I will do whatever you call me to do, no matter what it costs, to get the gospel, God's word, to people who have never had it. A few key words from that statement. This is a prayer to God. This is us saying to God who made us, who loves us, before whom you will stand one day and to give an account for your life. We are praying to that God. We said that we will give whatever God asks of us. This is giving God a blank check of our lives. This is us saying to God, God, there are no strings attached. We're willing to sell all of our belongings, move to any corner of the world for the cause of Jesus Christ. The, another word is cost. Church, there is no way to fulfill the Great Commission without cost, without sacrifice. You could sacrifice much. You could simply be called to sacrifice by giving in love offerings, but there will be sacrifice to reach the unreached. And then finally, God's word. 
the Holy Scriptures. Romans 10 declares, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Briefly, as we go to God's word this morning, we're going to look at two problems that we find in the Great Commissions, and then I pray two solutions to those problems. Look with me at verse number 19. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you for this endeavor of getting your holy scriptures into the hands of people that have never held it before. I pray that you'll give us a burden for that great cause. Lord, help us to feel the injustice of it. Help us to feel the weight of it. And help us to get involved in solving that issue. Be with our services this morning. In your name I pray. Amen. The first problem that we see is called the great imbalance. You've heard many sermons on the Great Commission, but what about sermons on the great imbalance? Churches are spending approximately 99% of their missions resources in places that are already reached with the gospel. Put another way, churches are spending approximately 1% of our missions resources amongst the almost 3 billion people in the world who have never had a Bible in their language and 7,000 people groups who have never heard the gospel. Some have estimated that for every $100 that a church gets in in an offering, only a nickel goes to unreached people groups. In terms of missionaries sent out, approximately 400,000 churches and Christians are classified as missionaries. Someone is considered a missionary for the sake of these statistics if they have moved somewhere else for the spread of the gospel. Out of those 400,000, only 11 to 12,000, about 3% are going to unreached people. That doesn't mean that those who serve amongst reached people are not worthy of honoring. They surely are. But surely, more than 3% of missionaries in the church should go to the over 3 billion people who have never heard the gospel before. The fact that so few of our financial resources and so few of our missionaries are sent to the unreached is what is known as the great imbalance. If we're going to obey the Great Commission, the great imbalance must be rectified. So here's the solution. The Great Commission calls us to give sacrificially for God's glory among the nations. Since most of us will never have the opportunity to go to these places to uh, talk to these people about the gospel face to face, how then can we fulfill the Great Commission's call to go to all nations? We can do that by giving out resources and praying to the God of heaven to bless those resources, to reach those people. Let's acknowledge the obvious. We live in the wealthiest place in the entire world. What if God has given us such wealth? Not so that we could have more comforts in our country, in our homes, and even in our churches, but so that others among the nations might know the grace, goodness, and glory of our God. It's what he's called us to do. I want to challenge us as a church, through our church, to give to the spread of God's glory among the nations. What if God has willed our wealth for the sake of his worship? Psalm 67 says that exactly. It's exactly what he's done. He's blessed us so that the nations might know he is God 
and he is good. How does our budget reflect a sacrificial devotion to seeing God's grace and glory spread among all peoples? Let's just be brutally honest with most church budgets, including ours. Over 90% of what it goes to is making the church more comfortable. Nice chairs, AC, nice parking lots. Most of the rest may go to outreach. But 99% of that 10%, almost 100% of that 10% that's left in the church budget only touches areas in the world that we have already reached. That leaves less than 1% of what we get in to go to places that have never heard the gospel. Over 3 billion people. Our individual budgets aren't much better. We spend most of our money on ourselves. We give some money to our church. Most statistics say somewhere around 2.5%. And to other good causes. But may I ask, how many missionaries or mission projects do you support on your own? How many go to unreached people groups? How much of your budget goes to places that never had the gospel? How much of your budget goes to unreached people groups with God's words intended to be for them? For most American Christians, the sad answer is about 0%. Hey, friend, just consider. In 100 years, 2123, everyone in this room, more than likely, will all be dead and gone. Strangers will live in our homes that we fought so hard to build, that we spent so much money on, and they will own everything that we gave our lives to today. All of our possessions will be gone, including our car, which will more than likely just be a scrap piece of metal. Our descendants will hardly know who we are, nor will they remember us. How many of us know our grandfather's father? After we die, we will be remembered for a few more years than we are just a portrait on someone's bookshelf. And for a few years later, our history, photos, and deeds disappear into history's oblivion. We won't even be memories for many people. So why do we work so hard and spend so much money on such small and fleeting things while we're here? May our bank accounts reflect that we are believers. May we use the resources that God has given to us to reflect that we are desiring to have not just a momentary impact, but an eternal one. May we be generous to spread the good word of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Getting the Bible into their language should be priority number one. Number two, the second problem, unreached people. There are over 3 billion people in over 7,000 people groups that are unreached by the gospel in our world today. They are on a road that leads to an eternal hell without ever hearing how they can have their sins forgiven. They've never heard the name of Jesus. The term unreached does not mean that people are lost. Unreached means that people don't have access to God's word. It's not that they can uh, hear or have heard the gospel and they choose not to believe it, like maybe your neighbor. It's that they can't even hear it because no one around them knows it. There aren't unreached people in the Metroplex, friend. There are millions of lost people in the Metroplex, but not unreached. There are churches, Bible bookstores, whole TV networks dedicated to 
uh, preaching the gospel. There are Christians spread out all over the entirety of the Metroplex. God loves those lost people so much that he gave them his son to die for them. But he loves them so much that he also gave them you. Your neighbor, your coworker, your family member or friend isn't unreached. They have you. They have access to God's word through you. Unreached peoples, unreached places are those among whom Jesus is largely unknown and the church is relatively insufficient to make Jesus known to the population. Practically, unless something changes, that means unreached people will be born, will live, and die without ever hearing the gospel. This is the kind of people the Bible is talking about in Romans 10, 14, when Paul asks rhetorically how people can believe in Jesus if they have never heard of him. It's why Paul moved on from those regions where churches had been planted and Christians were living and working to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who will never hear will understand, Romans 15. So what's the solution? The solution's us. It's the church. People groups in Yemen Papua New Guinea, in China, in North Korea, in Saudi Arabia have never held a Bible, have never heard the name of Jesus. And I actually believe, and the people at the seed company actually believe that we can actually reach all of them in our lifetime. Not any one of us can do it individually, but all of us together as the church. This is our duty. This is why Jesus created us to reach the nations with the gospel it is the church's responsibility to reach people groups in these nations with god's word the gospel has the power to do more than save our souls it is the power to compel us to gospel mission to ensure that people groups around the world hear about jesus just consider the ways the world is changing around us think about urbanization it's moving large amounts of people into smaller amounts of places allowing us to reach them quicker Consider technology. It's allowing us to communicate with people in poor and poorer countries in ways previously unthought of. Consider the role of technology in making it easier to get God's word into places that it's hard to get God's people. Consider the ease of travel. The church in the first century could have only dreamed about the opportunities to reach the nations. It took months to sail from one city to the next. You and I can get to many parts of the world in less than 36 hours today. In Paul's day, they wrote letters that could take months to reach his intended audience. Today, we can talk to over 90% of the world in mere minutes. And we can communicate in real time with what is in our pockets. Church, we're going to stand before God without excuse when he asks us, how did we reach the nations with the gospel? It is past time. That we set aside excuses and go to these people who have never heard the gospel or God's word or heard the name of Jesus and proclaim the gospel. How can you go? You can go through schooling. Teenagers, please listen. Lean into the Holy Spirit's work in your life today. Be open to how he works and be willing to go to school abroad. 
places where it's illegal to have church will be open to you coming to be educated in their country. Maybe through your work. Friend, there aren't many closed countries to missionaries where Christianity is illegal. But many of those same countries will pay Americans to come to their country to work, to teach. Nurses, doctors, fitness experts, and teachers are in high demand to go to these places and perform a duty. Do you hear me? These closed countries are willing to pay you to go and spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. Or maybe through surrendering to missions around the world. In closing, turn with me to Romans chapter number 10. Romans 10, look at verse number 14. Romans 10, 14 says, How then shall they call on him, on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Church, let us be finished and done with puny theology that results in paltry approaches to missions in our churches. Let us believe deeply in the sovereign God of the universe who holds the destiny of the world and our very lives in the palm of his hand. Let us see the hopeless state of man before God apart from Christ. And let us lead our churches to pray, to give, and to go to unreached peoples with the greatest news in all of the world. Maybe today, you feel a burden. We have an invitation. And I pray that you'll respond to God's call in your life. Will you please stand?